You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you need batteries for your truck, batteries for your trail cameras, TV remote controls, flashlights, you name it, Interstate Batteries has what you need. They have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in, talk to a battery specialist, or for more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, sir. We've got the man, the myth, the legend right here in the booth with us, um, Dr. James Earl Kinnemer. That's right. Okay. Thank goodness. Woo. I almost butchered that name. <laughs> yeah. So I <laughs> you, you don't know how many people really mess it up. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming into the booth here and uh, being a part of the podcast. And, um, man, we, we want to just open up with your history here with the organization. Um, kind of talk to us a little bit about what role you've played in the development of NWTF and the wild turkey across the country? Well, my, my wild turkeys have been my uh, love since I got to see my first turkey kill when I was in the sixth grade with my dad. And he had come back from World War II and was a fishing wildlife specialist at Auburn. So we had contacts to be able to go on landowners where there was turkeys and deer at a time when nobody else wouldn't have been able to see. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I can, in my mind's eye, I still see that turkey walking back and forth. He finally committed, uh, and he was on Fort Benning Military Reservation in Alabama, which is part of uh, the military. And when he killed him, I said, this is what I want to do. And I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, in the sixth grade, 12 years old. <laughs> and I stayed through to that all the way through to get my undergraduate degree at Auburn in wildlife, went to graduate school. So turkeys have been my life. When I moved back to Auburn to teach for 10 years, uh, the NWTF was struggling and we had very few uh, members. We only had like 12,000 members and a lot of them were $4 members. Mm -hmm. And they were looking for a director of research and I was uh, on the graduate faculty at Auburn and just built a new house and had all, everything you'd want in life. Sure. And uh, Tom Rogers, who was our founder, called me and said, I'd like for you to apply for the job of director of research. And I said, Tom, I'm not interested in it. He called me back and said, come for a look. And so we went over, my wife and I looked at it, and I looked at all the things, being at a university town and growing up in the town. And I said, if you ever want to deal with turkeys and anybody that's in the turkey business, this is the thing we need to do. So we pulled up stakes and went to a little wow. town with, with two uh, lights. One, one red light and two caution lights, and uh, that was almost 40 years ago, and I don't regret it at all. We sure. were very young at the time. We had a very poor reputation, and my job was to try to look at research and work with university, work with state agencies, being able to uh, put our heads together to move turkeys and to do things like that that we all know now today. Uh, one of the crowning things that I really enjoyed the most, and I think from a career standpoint, 
was being able to hit up Target 2000 that we came up with as a way to put turkeys in all habitats by the year 2000. Uh, we had been working state agencies trading back and forth with wildlife. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted deer or turkeys or whatever, you'd have to go give them redfish, fingerlings or something. And, and it wasn't working because nobody wanted to trade for turkeys. And I said, guys, with the technical committee, it's still here today working. Uh, we sat down and I said, guys, let's figure out a replacement cost or figure out what it would take if we had to go do this. And we came up with a $500 fee mm -hmm. that you would have to replace or give back to the states. It took us two years to get everybody to agree to that because you're buying and selling wildlife. The Lazy Act won't allow that. Sure. Uh, but we got them to agree to do that. And then we moved the first turkeys from the state of Georgia right out of, of uh, Thompson, Georgia to East Texas to Tyler and turned them loose. And it started the program. Then everybody really realized that we could trade turkeys and we were moving in some cases, 700 turkeys a wow. year around the country. So we literally, if you take North Carolina, for example, mm -hmm. uh, they had a turkey program that we finished in 10 years. It took South Carolina 40 years to go do because wow. we could take turkeys to them, turn them loose. Sure. And South Carolina could then come back and, and buy public land. Oh, real, wow. Real quick, I want to go back to that, like, that first moment when you're like, this is what I want to do. What do you think it was about the turkey that just sealed that fate for you that I want to deal with turkeys? Well, turkeys had always, you know, had been a magical thing to me. And, and yeah. uh, I'd had the opportunity to talk to my dad, and he had been turkey hunting. You couldn't buy the stuff you got today. Right. I mean, he's hunting in Army fatigue kind of sure. a deal. But if there's something about watching that turkey moving back and forth, doing his game, strutting and waiting on us to come to him, which he couldn't do, uh, that just really captivated me. And I, when he walked out of that uh, cane and was coming straight to us once he committed to it and my dad killed it, uh, it's just something that was magical in right. my in my psychic I, I can't tell you why but that's it <laughs> but i felt the same thing when my son and daughter and sure. my wife killed their first deer first turkey yeah. it was just a magical moment for them to express and see what hunting is all about and what it really means to be out in the environment absolutely wow. I, I think everyone can go back to the, those moments within one their own personal life or if you shared those hunts with other people and just that sticks with you and oh, that's yeah. fueled passions for you and uh that's the awesome way to start a career and no I, I know adam you you knew from a young age that you want to do 12, wildlife 12 years Likewise, old i here knew that as well i wanted to help yep. landowners improve their farms to because we i grew up in the ozark mountains and uh the turkeys were phenomenal but deer was poor quail was falling fast it just was a very unmanaged landscape there wasn't a lot of wildlife and uh it was like man we started doing stuff on our farm it was like i i want to help and i want to work outside improving landscapes and so that's now that was 20 years ago so yeah that's, that's a real impressionable age when you're it is you're you're not quite a, an adult yet but then that i'm trying to make up a decision where i want to go and what i want to do so mm -hmm. that's that's crucial for any kid absolutely yeah. so how many years have you spent with NWTF? Uh, I started in May of 1980. 
So okay. I've been there almost 40 years. I still live in Edgefield. I still yep. do things with the Federation and the mentor program, working with landowners, helping manage the wild turkey center and trying to do prescribed burning and mm -hmm. taking kids and what have you out to hunt and fish. So, uh, but it's been a 40-year journey. That's fantastic. And I just loved every minute of it. So I was going to ask, we've seen this just incredible increase of turkeys across the, the country. Um, in recent years, we sat through a presentation yesterday, specifically Midwest numbers, start to decline just a little bit, kind of plateau for a couple of years and start to kind of tail back down. There's all sorts of different reasons and everything like that. But you knowing intimately the, the life cycles of turkeys, and we're very habitat landscape oriented here on the podcast but what do you think is one of the most critical and missing components to the landscape across the country right now specifically for wild turkeys and why why we might be seeing those numbers decline a little bit well it's a it's a real complicated issue and there's no one thing that you Correct. can say but right. if you look at, at a lot of the prime habitats and things that where uh, just take Edgefield which is a little small town that when we were, when I first moved there, turkeys were everywhere. I mean, mm -hmm. you could you could take our board of directors out on an August day and see 250 poles in fields. Wow. Now, if you made that same trip, you wouldn't see it. But we've lost critical good habitats in so many places. Development, sprawl of Atlanta is an example. Mm -hmm. It's encroaching in a lot of the better habitats. When you go out west and where people want to put their mountain homes or what have you, it's where the turkeys need to roost or overwinter. And so we're losing habitat that's critical to, to making sure. So that's that's part of it. I think the other part of it that's probably more crucial, which is right to where you guys are working, is improving the habitats we got. We lost quail because the habitats changed. We didn't manage for them. This was so gradual, you didn't see it. Yep. It just kind of all of a sudden, where'd they go? And then you get all of the other things coming up that, well, uh, we had to deal with this with turkeys because turkeys were increasing when quail were going down. And the guys sitting around the coffee shop in the morning pooling their ignorance would figure <laughs> out. I love that. <laughs> would figure out that, therefore, turkeys have got to be eating the quail. And right, that wasn't right. at all. What it was. Yeah. What was happening, the quail habitat was degrading and going yes. down. Turkeys were adaptable to a lot of different habitats, so they were able to increase. But now we're, we're looking just in my community where I live, a lot of uh, areas that were open and had turkey habitat for nesting and brood habitat. They're growing up now in a thicket of, of uh, sweet gums and other brush that is Chinese not, privet and, yeah. and all of the exotics that now have spread right. all over and so you're losing the critical habitat and one of the most crucial ones that we've lost is, is brood habitat once yes. you if you yes. don't make brood habitat and landowners with their management program with thinning burning in particular and open that understory making that grassy environment where the hen has a place to go take those pokes they can feed and also be protected from predators is crucial to the wild turkey and i think the decline that we've seen over recent years in all areas of the country is not only tied to the urban sprawl but to the loss of good quality habitat I that we got to manage agree completely yeah we, we've done a recent podcast we've got some um, quail biologists 
that work with us a lot and just did a podcast specifically on brood rearing cover, what it takes on the landscape to make that happen. And um, they say the same thing for quail. If you don't have that, a lot of times you have nest success from a hatching standpoint, but then you're losing broods early on and they're not getting recruiting into adult stages. And uh, that habitat certainly has been lost, whether it's from, you know, field edges and then overgrazing, all these different components, closed canopy forest. We just have lost that critical middle ground uh, of habitat and plant communities that are certainly necessary for this. You're, you're right, Matt. I, I'm curious, so of the course of 40 years with NWTF, what is some or one specific time where it was like, this is just the pinnacle, the most fun, you felt like you're making the biggest improvement, or was it the course of over a five-year project? Is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, I, I think really, Adam, the, the end of the 90s when turkeys were doing so well and we were trying to get them at just the last few remaining habitats. It took a little bit of time to get the Goulds turkey and, and finish some of that restoration, but we were uh, probably 95% or 98% already had turkeys everywhere that they are going to be able to survive. And knowing that we've had people getting to go hunt them now that they probably wouldn't have gotten to hunt in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. My grandfather grew up uh, in Selma, Alabama, and it was the heart of uh, quail country back in, in the 30s. And to my knowledge, he never saw uh, a wild turkey in his life. Now, he hunted quail and was an right. avid quail hunter, but that's all changed. Now you've got quail that have gone, and you've got Boone and Crockett deer and, and fantastic turkey hunting. So those things change, but to, to have a part in bringing back a species like the wild turkey, which is one of the greatest examples of modern conservation, and knowing that we've got people like in this room here and in this convention, being able to go out and hunt and take kids that they might have grown up and never seen a wild turkey. It would have happened over time, but we came up with a plan that accelerated this yeah. so we could get it done faster. Absolutely. Wow. That is awesome. You, I- you've seen some incredible country across different landscapes and and regions here what area are you like if you want a destination turkey hunt to go to you want to experience just some beautiful country as well as just the turkey on display in the spring where's one of those areas that you're like you kind of have to experience in the u.s well that's a hard one to to answer matt because they're they're different you know i I love going and hunting miriams in the west yeah in the ponderosas where you can see them a long way and and you can hear they'll gobble in the dark and i mean there's just something unique about that so uh hunting miriams has always been something i really enjoyed going into into the uh, midwest and hunting in the southern part hunting rio grands where you can go out and and uh, like hunting on the King Ranch, where we could, you could make a call and and have a hundred Longbeards gobbling <laughs> at one time. So I mean, you experience, oh man, you experience, uh, you know, just the environment and the habitat. Yeah. And with each one of those places you go, is going to be the traditions yeah. of that area, culture that, the culture of it. that ties into it. Sure. But for me, growing up in the Deep South, uh, and and still owning some property in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I manage. Yeah. Uh, we we enjoy going there because of my roots being there, 
Definitely. If you can kill a turkey in Alabama or in the deep south uh, where it's really difficult, Rio's are, I'm not saying they're not hard to kill or easy to kill, because yeah. if you put enough pressure on them, they get just as smart as any of them. But for me, the deep south hunting, hunting sure. turkeys and, and uh, the oak swamps and some of those things. Uh, but, you know, I've had the lucky and being able to call a turkey in, in 34 states and kill one myself in all of those and right. then 38. So I've got four states that I've not killed a turkey, but I've called for somebody else. Sure. So you, you get to express, uh, express your opportunity to see the outdoors, see the habitat, be with the people, because it all comes down to who you're hunting with. Sure. To me now, the traditions are going with people that I have hunted with for years and years. The hunt's what's important, but the fact we go together and mm. enjoy the outdoors. If turkeys gobble, fine. If they don't, we have a great time. And it doesn't mean I'm not still ready to kill one, but I'm going to try to do it. <laughs> ain't afraid to click that safety off. No. Where would you kill a bird in Missouri? Uh, I've killed them in, in northern Missouri and, and southern Missouri. So, oh, cool. So I've been, I've been in all of the states like that as far as towns and where they are. Uh, I can tell you a lot of that, but I've, I've been there, done that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, when I was growing up, it was nothing to hear 30 birds in the Ozarks. And right. to me, like you said, the, the roots, the connection to the southern Missouri, or southern Missouri Ozark Mountains for me, I'd love to hunt birds anywhere other, but I'm not missing that three-week window of southern yeah. Missouri yeah. turkey hunting. So. What? The, the, the life cycles, the characteristics, the biology, physiology of the turkey is just, it's incredible. There's, there's so many different cool things about the makeup of the wild turkey. Um, but what is something that you feel like people often overlook that's a unique characteristic of the wild turkey that you'd say, kind of, did you know this about them? Well, yeah, a, a, a hard answer to that would be, when I came on board and we were looking at, at states trying to grow turkeys in a pen, turn them loose, it'd be like taking a kid in New York City and putting them out in the woods and say, you know, make a living. You couldn't do it because they hadn't been trained. And I don't think people realize that particularly in the brood side of things and the nesting side, how crucial that hen bonds with those little poles. She's clucking to them while they're in the egg. Sure. They're already imprinting to her back and forth and so when they come out and follow her and she can tell them and show them what they want to do so if you follow the the history of the turkey and watching what she does with them and knowing what the turkey gobbler is going to be doing trying to mate with the hen so knowing the life cycle and the biology of them helps you be a better turkey hunter. Without a, doubt. a lot of people don't Without realize that you gotta you gotta predict of course, turkey is unpredictable. He goes to bed at night on a limb. He has no clue what he's going to do tomorrow. Even yeah. though you've roosted him, you think I'm a, I got him dead. <laughs> you don't have him dead. You foot's on his neck. Yeah. So, I, I, I think most people just don't pay enough attention to how the turkey is adapted, mm. how the brood habitat comes up, how it's all plays together, and helps you as a hunter to be able to go kill a turkey because you got a better chance of figuring out what he's going to do. Oh, man. Definitely. I don't know whether that's the answer you want. No, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> I, I think it's just – I just love – I don't know what it is about the, the wild turkey that is just so fascinating for, for me individually. There's just – it's a culmination of all the different different things. And as we learn more about 
you know, the, the nesting, the success, or the lack of success, or just those key components on the landscape, whether it's spatially, the distribution of all these features, it all just comes together, and, and it's so diverse, but the turkey needs all, all those oh, no. components Absolutely. on the landscape. And that's what we love creating. That's where our heart's at, and hopefully the podcast gives and provides that information to people. Um, but man, I just I love chasing turkeys, yeah. too. You know, I, I asked a question earlier, like, what was the kind of the high point? But at what point, or was there a point whenever you started working for the NWTF that you were like, I'm not sure of the future of this bird? Like, we're going to have to change some mindsets, or was there a time where you're like, we're going to have to really buckle down and, and, and start helping people understand the significance of quality habitat or whatever well, it was? Well, I, I think when I was hired and, and the board was really tied into this, we knew very little about the biology of the wild turkey, and so they wanted me to come in and and be the magic to figure out how to put a turkey under every bush, which <laughs> I told them that's, that's not going to happen. However, with telemetry and yep. with good science and, and being able to focus on that through our programs, we learned a lot about turkeys. But very quickly, I was seeing that it doesn't matter if we learn the biology, if we don't put turkeys in their habitats and manage for them, the focus of the Federation was on research. We got to do research. Well, it, it's a big thing. We got to do research. We got to move turkeys, and then we got to manage them. Yeah. Because if you don't do all of those things, and we pretty well put a lot of the biology together, even though Mike Chamberlain and some of the guys that are doing some fantastic research, one of the things I wanted them to do, it used to be each state would be collecting brood data on their own, and when you try to compare it, you couldn't because – Alabama might do it different than Georgia or what have sure, you. So now strategy. they're all on the same boat, and we're doing regional research. But the, the fact of the management part of it, at the end of the day, if we don't provide the habitat they need, we're going to lose them. And if you take it for granted like we did the quail, you're going to lose it. Yeah. So we have the opportunities now, and we need to do it more than just one landowner, and better still if we can – have multiple landowners in an area so you're making a landscape impact then we got a better chance of winning the game but we got to be able to produce more on less and the only way you do that's quality habitat absolutely there you go what, what, what about the the whole educational piece of making sure that message is out there do you got do you have any uh maybe examples or, or things that you saw nwtf do well throughout these years in an education standpoint of talking to these landowners and making sure hunters knew, guys, this is what we need to be doing. Any, any things like that throughout the years that you're like, that made a big difference? Well, I think demonstrations of showing what you can do, and that's what we try to do in, in a lot of the different areas, in particular with the Wild Turkey Center, even though it's one, one area, trying to provide quality habitat for people that could come and look at at uh, the Piedmont and the Lower Coastal Plain management opportunities and going and showing it to them. And one of the things we tried to do is a burning demonstration. And I saw this that Herb Stoddard put together down in, in uh, Florida at Tall Timbers is they had some quarter acre plots that they had set up and burned and not burned. And they would, you could ride down this boulevard and you could look over here and see 180 degree different habitats only sure. because of the way they managed it. Yeah. And most landowners, it's hard for them to vision what they're trying to go through. Very difficult. So the more you can put 
a demonstration area or have a good landowner that's doing all the right things. And we do it now through the Federation, bring a lot of landowners together, let them go see what it looks like, how you can do it. This is why this is being burned and why it's not being burned. This is why we're planning here. And most most landowners want to take an easy way out. And they it's amazing to me how many people that are buying land and expect the magic to all happen and you, it doesn't work that way you that's right you got to go out and look at it and make hard decisions whether i'm culling uh trees out of my habitat that are not producing but are taking up space mm-hmm. and energy yep. and putting in something that's going to be better how i create and, and use burning which is something that's vastly missed by a lot of, a lot of people yes sir that one of the cheapest things you can do and it does more turkeys are tied into burning habitat i've seen them in right after a burn where it's still smoking mm-hmm. they love it and they all go together so uh, I, I think having a comprehensive plan is important i think making hard decisions that you don't put a food plot here because that's where it's always been it sure. may be you need to change that yeah and maybe open up and don't don't just plant something and think that's going to be the magic of making it work yeah because it doesn't work that way yeah, definitely. So, question for you: In all these years of research and and managing and trying to improve the habitat, what is your favorite for fun project, habitat improvement project? I think I know based on that last little <laughs> statement. But what is your favorite thing to do well, to improve habitat? I've got some property in Alabama that's about 250 acres. It's it's uh, on land that is really rocky and and not real good habitat. But I do have a, a creek that runs around uh, three-fourths of the whole land. And trying to look at habitat that our food plots that my dad put in, mm-hmm. that now that I'm going back and changing some of those and because they're not in the right place. And so I'm trying to find some of the better land that's more tied together with corridors yeah. and being able to manage that. So. Uh, Looking at the burning side of it, we haven't done enough burning over time, uh, mainly because it's it's a long way from South Carolina for me to sure. go do it. Yeah, our right changes days. on that drive real yeah, quick. It's, you just can't do that. But I, I think making a comprehensive plan, and now with drones where you can get people in there to go look at, at the habitat, get you some photographs on the air, mm-hmm. and sit down and look at some of that. I made some good decisions on some thinning some, some trees that – Really, were there taking up land yeah. and not not producing anything? Gotcha. Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's a hard question to answer in a yeah short. It, it's term. it's the full package basically. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that's kind of goes back to uh, I guess our approaches. How long have you guys had that property, that 200 acres in Alabama? Uh, since 1963. Since 1963, and you're still at the point where it's changing. It needs to be manipulated. There needs to be a comprehensive plan put together for that property to be able to make these necessary changes for weather what you're trying to promote is maybe additional deer or maybe more more flocks of turkeys utilizing it throughout different times of the year whatever it may be right that prop that property is still the same property but it, the components of it are still being managed for, right. even though you've held it for that long yep and that yep. resonates hopefully with with people who are like do i do a management plan do i not is it important what yeah <sighs> How do I, how do I when wrap do, all this When do in? I get to a point where the work is over? Yeah. Uh, never. We've yeah, always that's, got that's, something yeah. to do. I, I've always got something to do with it, and that tide of the land means a lot to me to go up there and be able uh, to work sure. on it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Very special. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough for yeah. coming on the show. 
talking about your history and all your experience and I mean, I, I don't think just Matt and I can thank you enough for all your work yeah. for the national for the National Wild Turkey Federation as well as just the wild turkey in general. So Without thank you so much. And, uh, man, I, I know people are going to like hear, hearing it. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And it's uh, been a wonderful ride. I've been able to hunt with the rich and famous and the blue-collar worker and taking kids. Uh, you know, it's just it's an awesome thing when you look at a career. And I was I was fortunate enough, and God gave me the ability sure. to go be part of that. It's been wonderful, and thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. Thank you.